We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. 2 Peter chapter 3. And when you came in, you should have received a sheet that uh, it kind of covers some of the things that we talked about at the men's retreat up to this point. Uh, on Friday night, they went over the chronology of eschatology, all the order of events, and I think it's a really helpful resource so that you can kind of see what's going to happen. You know, um, How many of you guys here, uh, you, you go to the movies, just out of curiosity, how many of you go to the movies? All right. You guys are cool. I mean, some of you are lying because I know you all do, but when you go to the movies, do you like to see previews? Of course, the preview is usually better than the movie. You know, they want you to go. But um, in one sense, we've been given a preview of the future. And, uh, and you know, when you go and, and you see a movie, usually they'll give you a gener- general date as far as when it's going to be released. And, you know, you get excited about these things. Um, For us, we have a preview of the coming of Christ, uh, a preview of, you know, when time will end. We kind of see that in the scriptures, and uh, we're kind of seeing now that the day is soon. It's soon. The Lord is coming soon. And uh, on one side of the sheet, you have what uh, Don Stewart went over, 14 signs that we know we're near the end. Uh, Number one right there on your sheet if you have it. And if you don't have it, please raise your hand because we want to make sure that everyone has one of those sheets so you can take home. Hopefully you don't lose it, especially the side that shares the eschatology uh, events. But anyways, these signs right here, number one, Israel being in her homeland and in the spotlight. I mean, here's a a nation the size of New Jersey, uh, surrounded by uh, a million kilometers of uh, square uh, you know, footage where we see uh, nations coming against them. But they're there. They found their way back into the homeland. 1948, they became a nation. 1967, regaining Jerusalem. I mean, just thriving as a nation. Not just existing, but completely fulfilling Ezekiel 36 and 37. That right there, you guys, just in case you're wondering, that's never happened before. Never have a people been thrust out of their land, which is what happened to Israel in AD 70, and even earlier when Babylon in 722 BC kept them captive. Never has a nation returned like that. But Israel did, and they did it twice. Why? Because they're a sign. It's a sign that we're living in the last days. And, you know, you can go through this list right here. You can get more information on the website that's listed there. But just the Temple Mount and how the Mount, how everything is being prepared for the rebuilding of the temple. We know the temple has to be rebuilt according to uh, the scriptures, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. The book of Revelation talks about this. Jesus talked about the abomination of desolation, how during that tribulation period, halfway through, the Antichrist will come in. And, uh, you know, uh, all these things being set up, um, we know the lineup of nations in Ezekiel 38, which describes an alliance between Russia and Iran, Something that's never happened. They've never had an alliance until now. Why? Because God is telling us, I'm coming soon. Uh, nations that are conspicuous in their absence, United States being one of them. And number five there, we see the d- continual decline of our nation in almost every category. 
Um, the world's desire for a leader, we see now we live in a global community with the ability to network and communicate unlike any other time in history. Uh, the exponential increase of technology, Daniel talks about that. The world economic crisis that is surrounding us, everything's being set up. The continuing problem of plagues and pestilences. I mean, you talk about, you know, uh, Ebola, SARS, I mean, bird flu, I mean, you name it. The increase of morality, lawlessness. I mean, things are escalating in an exponential fashion. Uh, maybe in the 1950s, one of the problems that we had in school was chewing gum and getting out of line. And uh, now it's guns. I mean, things are changing uh, so rapidly. Uh, violence, apostasy in the Christian church, movement towards a one-world religion, and the isolation of Israel, something we would have never thought. You know, we had always been an ally of Israel, but uh, with the current administration and the way that things are happening, uh, it just seems like uh, more and more that nation is being isolated. And all this, all these are signs of the times. And so, you know, all that to say, um, are you guys ready, man? Are you ready for the return of the Lord? I mean, when he comes and, you know, when he calls your name, and of course, we don't even know if we're going to live. I mean, none of us has tomorrow guaranteed, but really want to make you ready for that day. And so today's study, I want to kind of veer off uh, from our normal series and, and just share a few verses that are Second Peter 3 that I think will help us uh, have the right outlook, you know. And, and, and so in, in 2 Peter 3, let's begin reading in verse 11, where, where Peter says, uh, Therefore, um, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, I know we just jumped into the text, you know. Um, it, it might be helpful just to give you a brief background of what Peter has written up to this point. But um, in chapter 1 of this book, it, uh, to make a long story short, uh, uh, he's just saying, you know, grow in your godliness. You know, at the end of the day, what's the Lord really wanting us to grow in? He wants us to be more like Jesus. Not a religious Pharisee, not you know people who stuck are stuck up or think they're better than others because we're not, you know. But but he wants us to grow and to be more like Jesus Christ in character. And he talks about the ladder of virtues and how you add to your faith, and eventually you end up with brotherly kindness and love and just growing, you know. And so you know God wants to work in us. I don't know. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're doomed. You know you can't break your addiction. You can't. You really grow up and be the man that you want to be, the woman that you want to be because of whatever your excuses are, you know, and the enemy's lying to you saying it's genetics or cultural environment or upbringing or whatever smarts. Let me tell you something, man. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. I want you to know, you need to know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God can make you a godly man or a godly woman. First uh, Peter talks about that. And then he gets into 2 Peter chapter 1. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to grow. 
And, and so Peter is encouraging us in that. And, and, he, and, he, and he, in the latter part of that chapter, he says, and, and I just want you to know that as I share these things with you, it's not like some fairy tale. You know, we're not here studying things that are theory. He says, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. I mean, I was there on the mountain and I heard the voice of God. What I'm telling you is true. Jesus is real. The Holy Spirit is real. Christianity is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. What he's saying is that God can really work in our life to make us real. And so, you know, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord or maybe you've drifted away, I mean, today's a day, man. You know, today's a day where God would fill the void within you. Today's a day where God would break the chains of addiction. It could be crystal meth or drugs or pornography. It doesn't matter. Today's a day where you give your life to Christ. He loves you. He died for you on a cross. He rose again from the grave. He's conquered death. He's shown us heaven. He's paved the way to paradise. All you got to do is repent of your sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. This is not a church. You don't even have to come here. Maybe today God just brought you here for one time. And that doesn't even matter because we're not here to build our own kingdom. We're not here so that we can grow as a church. No, we're here to share the gospel, God's love. Maybe today's just your day to get saved. Maybe today's your day to come back to the Lord. You know, where you've drifted away and you used to serve the Lord and you had a fire and you had a passion and you know it was real and you experienced God, but you've gone your own way. And maybe the devil will come in and he'll say, well, you can't go back. That's not true. That's not true. I mean, it's, it's a one step. You come back to God today and he will run to you. That's what the Bible says in Luke 15 and we get right with the Lord. You know, and so I'm just wanting to bless your life. Wanting you experience life and that more abundantly, the love and the family and the marriage and the, the life that God has for you. It's all there. And we read that in chapter 1. It's not a fairy tale. It's, it's fact. Peter says, I saw Jesus. But then in chapter 2, he says, there's a, there's a battle, however. You know, there, there are real prophets and there are false prophets. And, and what he's saying there in chapter 2 is that you know, these false prophets, they'll come in and they'll you know, send their message. It's got no validity to it whatsoever. You know, the false prophets will come in and say, Jesus isn't real, neither is his judgment. And Peter goes on and talks about the, the fact that, yes, his, his judgment is real. You know, he judged the angels, he judged the world in Noah's flood. I mean, you know, he judged Balaam, he judged the false prophets, he judged the city of Sodom and Gomorrah who was uh, committed to homosexuality. That's, that's the God of the Bible. And, and you know, we're hearing uh, the contrary today. We're hearing from the world that God's not going to judge and he's just a God of love. And yes, he is a God of love, but he's also a God of holiness. And so he's talking about the fact that he will judge. And so in chapter 3, when he gets into that chapter right there, he's just talking about how you know, the Lord is going to judge and, um, you know, some people are mocking and some people are, you know, saying that that's not true. They've been saying that. My grandma used to say that, you know, and, 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 then, and then Peter, he just says, well, you know, relax. That w with the Lord, you know, uh, a thousand years is like one day and one day is, is a thousand years. I know it's been a while. I've been saved since 1989 and since I got saved, you know, they were saying that we're living in the last days and and, and I, but I see it more and more and more and more 
now to where my country, my beautiful Christian country, is now uh, catering to Islam and closing the doors to Christianity. I was talking to one of the guys, and he was telling me about his uh, daughter's new curriculum and, you know, four pages uh, informing the children, brainwashing the children on Islam and one little teeny tiny section on Christianity. And this is here. This is here in America. And so, you know, things are changing. And, and Peter's is saying, you know, they might mock and they might say it's not real. But let me tell you, Christians, and let me tell you this here today, that this is where you'll hear the truth. This is the realest thing you will ever hear. This is real. And we need to be ready. Have you ever heard that saying, too little, too late? You know, we don't want to be that. I mean, when the Lord comes, when we die, we don't want to say, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. You know, it's got to be now. And so he's talking about how the Lord will judge and, you know, it's going to be fire and, and everything's going to be wiped out. Okay? And then he picks it up in verse 11. And let's read it again. He says, therefore, he has, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I mean, everything's going everything's gonna to burn. <laughs> I mean, we've heard that saying, it's all going to burn. It's true. That's what the Bible says. Um, it's going to be dissolved. It's going to disappear. Um, the scriptures talk about how in Revelation, when the Lord is there, sets up his white throne, that the heavens and the earth will flee from his presence. You know, I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe you like your car and you're like, oh, Manny, but I just bought it, man. And I, and I like to wax it and worship it, you know, and it's going to burn. I mean, all these things that we're committed to, you know, and it's kind of interesting how Todd would share something that we would call the American dream. It, it really is, huh? It's something that we have been inundated with, you know, that my goal in life is to buy a, a, buy a house, buy a house, nice picket fence and make it all clean and all the colors are just right. And I tell you what, man, I'm going to have the surround sound and the big flat screen. And, uh, you know, and you can just go down the list of everything that you've been brainwashed to think that this means you're successful as a person in America. This is the American dream. And the last thing you would want was to be a renter. The last thing you would want to, you know, is to you know, live in a tent and, you know, have one of those old-fashioned square, you know, TVs type of thing, you know. And, I mean, you name it. I mean, we could go on and on and on with all the stuff that, that, that we possess, but that in all reality possess us. It's all going to burn. And we spent all our money and all our time, and sometimes we even give it our heart and our passion where in all reality, we'd be, we could be giving all those things to things that are eternal. You know, not to put Todd up on a pedestal, because I don't think necessarily that all of us are called to sell everything, but man, to see someone who does, who sells everything, and let me tell you, him and his wife, they were doing pretty good. Sold everything. Now everything they have is in a 10 by 10 room, and they're off to change the world. And so, I don't know. 
Sometimes we have to lighten the load. Sometimes we have to get rid of things or schedules and we're so busy. It's, it's all going to burn. Jesus said the thieves are going to come in and break in and steal. The moths are going to eat it. The rust is going to wear it out. And then what? He says since all these things are, are going to be dissolved, verse 11, what manner of persons ought you to be? in holy conduct and godliness. You know, and if I could just say this, you might even want to circle the word, you know, be, you know. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. What manner of persons ought we to be? Holiness means that I'm set apart for God. Godliness means I'm like him. That's who I should be. Not just going to church. And some of you here, and it's okay, you know, we're, we're here to get a new start, but you come to church and you go home and you don't treat your wife right. You don't treat your husband right. You don't spend time with your children. You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. Uh, some of us here, and, and it's just, it, we're living in the world of pornography we're living in a world of sexual sin. You know, we're living in a world where guys like to check out chicks and look at cleavage, watch things on, you know, TV or movies or drink a little, you know, a little drugs, a little partying, ain't no thing. And God says, well, wait a minute, time out. Everything's going to burn. I'm real. Christianity is real. Jesus really died for you. You're saved. Shouldn't that change who you are? The husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her as a wife, not trying to rule the house, but being submissive to her husband as unto the Lord? What manner of persons ought we to be? Single people. I mean, we're so, we love you. We love you. But why? Do you engage in sexual sin? You're set apart, my friend. You're holy. You're godly. Wait on the Lord. Wait until you get married. Wait for the right one. It's all going to burn. It's all going to dissolve. What type of people should we be? He says there in the next verse, we should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. You know, when the Lord judged the world earlier, he judged it with water. He said, I'll never judge the world with water again, and he gave the, the rainbow as a promise. But he, he will judge the world in fire and what we believe is going to happen, Jesus currently holds everything together. The Bible says that in him all things consist in Colossians chapter 1. And so scientists don't know what holds the atom together. We do. It's Jesus. They call it atomic glue. We call it Jesus, right? And he holds everything together. One day he's going to let it go. It will be like an, an, an atomic, a nuclear uh, uh, burning that the whole world will experience and the only thing that will last after that are the souls of men and women. So, you know, it's all going to burn. 
And so this is what we need to be. You guys, we need to be people who are, I don't know, can I say this? Good lookers. You guys are looking good today, by the way. We work on that, right? Um, but I want to tell you about a different type of look. Let me give you three things. Number one, we need to be people who are looking for a certain person. Looking for a certain person. Look again there in verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. You know, how many of you here, you have calendar apps out of curiosity? They're pretty cool. Most of us probably do, but you guys are just too tired to raise your hand. That's okay. I still love you, okay? <laughs> God has a calendar too, and he's got it circled the day that he returns. You know, it's the coming of the Lord, you know, and we have to be looking for that, that day. But I want to encourage you to know that it's not just a day. It's not just a, a day. It's, it's a divine day. Uh, it's not just something where God flips his cosmic calendar. It's not just, you know, some type of uh, prophecy thing. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. No, it's a person. It's, we're looking for a certain person. It's God. We're looking for God. That's what we should be looking for, that day of God. You know, I mean, that's where our hearts should be. I don't know about you. I don't know what excites you. What gets you excited? What kind of makes that adrenaline flow? What's your master passion? Some of you guys like to go fishing, maybe skiing, snow skiing, water skiing, hunting. I don't know what it is. Um, but I know that uh, in all of life, in all of life, the most wonderful and exciting and just, I mean, there's no comparison to the, the day, the moment, that we see God. You ever think about that? I mean, that right there, it just blows my mind. And we should be looking for that day, that person. You see? It's so important for us. You know, I mean, we go out, and, and, and I know I've told you guys before that, that life is, is about people. People are beautiful. And, and, of course, primarily the person of God. You know, but when you go out and you go to work and stuff and you're out there all day and you're sweating and all that, you know, I'm pretty sure most of you, you look forward to the, the you know, when you come home, right? Especially if I could say for those of you who are married, guys that are out there, if you're working hard all day and now you're, you're going home, right? What excites you about going home? You know, going home, you're like, hey, my wife is making me enchiladas today, man. I'm excited about the enchiladas. Or, you know, maybe there's going to be something on the, on, the, on, the, on the tube. You know, it's a good football game, you know, stuff like that. And that's okay. That's okay. But, but primarily, you want to go home because of the people that are there, right? You get to see your wife. Remember when your kids were little, how they would run to the door? Now you can't even find them, man. You can't. Hey, is Aaron here? <laughs> Didn't he hear the door open and, you know, all that kind of stuff? My kids should be running to me. But, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll go looking for them. I don't just go in the house, you know, put my keys on the hook, hang a left, and make myself a ham sandwich. I don't do that. I go looking for my family members. First my wife, then my kids. It's a person. 
And when we're talking about what we're looking for, we're looking for a person. It's God. You know, when we go to Cambodia, and I love to go to Cambodia, all the things that take place there, but, but for me, it, it, it's primarily rooted in the fact that the first time I went, I fell in love with a little girl. And we were playing patty cake, and we were talking, even though I didn't know her language and she didn't know mine. And God just, he established a relationship that was supernatural. And so every year, every year we think about, okay, am I going to go to Cambodia this year? And we're praying. I pretend like I'm praying, you know. I'm going. Primarily because I want to see her. You know, we only get to spend like maybe 20 minutes together. The best 20 minutes ever. Because when I'm on that plane and I'm looking forward to this, I'm looking for that person. And for us, it's the person of God. Don't miss that. You know, we look for this. Secondly, notice what he says in verse 13. Nevertheless, we according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, we're not only looking for a person. Number two, we're looking for a place. It's a place where righteousness dwells. You know, I mean, that's awesome. There's no sin. There's no devil. There's no darkness. There's no Satan. It's just a place where, where righteousness dwells. Um, there's nothing bad. You won't need any dental floss because there will be no plaque. Um, you won't need any deodorant because there's not going to be that kind of sweat or smell. Um, you know, you can eat anything you want. You won't need to work out to lose weight. I don't think there's going to be any fat in heaven. <laughs> I mean, it's just a place where righteousness dwells. It's the old heaven and earth. They're gone. They're gone. You know, and I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe you're getting attached to it. It's a beautiful place. It really is. Going up to the mountains, seeing the beautiful blue sky, the green trees, and even smelling the air, breathing the air, the brown, the combination of everything, even the little waterfalls here and there. It is beautiful, but it is, it is in a fallen state. One day it's all going to go away, and God's going to create an absolutely brand new heaven and earth. I don't know about you, but I like new. To be honest with you, I do. I like new clothes. Um, I like new cars. I like the way they smell. Um, you know, I like new phones. I'm so excited about, you know, the next one. I mean, you know, we're like that, right? Because the old ones, they get old. They get outdated and dilapidated, right? Well, how about a new heaven? How about a new earth? How about a new home? What's it going to be like? You guys ever think about heaven? I mean, we should. Uh, Warren Worsby said, heaven's not just a destination, it's a motivation. That's our home. You know, we like it here. We get attached here. We get, you know, rooted and grounded, and we just get so caught up in this world and the things of this world, and yet the Bible says don't love this world and the things of this world, right? But we do, unfortunately. But, you know, I want you guys to know that we look forward 
to a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be beyond our wildest imagination. You know, I was, uh, I was, I don't know, I, I, I trip out on this one illustration. I, I don't know if you guys, anyone here pregnant, just out of curiosity? Well, you're like, first I have to tell my family. Well, um, <laughs> anyways, um, I know Stephanie, she's ready to pop. She's, you know, got the baby inside. I was thinking about that. I was even thinking about, um, I don't know if you guys know Ryan Reese, that's Pastor Rawls' son. He's expecting, they're expecting triplets. Isn't that crazy? Anyways, so anyways, you see the, the baby inside the womb. The girls like to hear that stuff. And, um, you know, so the baby's in the womb. And imagine the baby's there just thinking, man, life is good. I got all my food. I'm feeling comfortable. Um, it's nice temperature, perfect temperature. And I'm just going to stay here in the womb, right? And uh, one day, whoever it is, and it's God, maybe it's a doctor, he says, okay, buddy, it's time for you to be born. And he's like, what? And he's like, yeah, you're coming outside the womb. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, the baby's all, no, I want to stay here. I like it here. And the doctor says, no, you're upside down. You know, you need to get out of there. And, and you know, so anyways, uh, they kind of, it happens, right? And then the baby goes out the womb. And, and it's not an easy experience, I know, especially for you ladies giving birth. I have a feeling it hurts the baby a little bit too, you know. But when they go through that canal and they're and they're finally born, I mean they come out to a whole new world. See, that's heaven. That's us. And I know one day we might have to go, unless we're raptured, we might have to go through that whole process and it might be painful. But let me encourage you today, if you ever find yourself there, or your loved one there, I know it's hard. I know that valley of the shadow of death is hard. But just don't forget where you're going. You're going home. Death for the Christian is not defeat. It's just departure to our home. See, I want you guys and I want myself to start looking better. I want to look, you know, to that certain person. I want to look uh, to that certain place. And I want to look with this certain perspective. Look what he says in verse 14. Therefore, beloved. And, and just, you can't, you know, just race over that word. He doesn't just put it there for no reason. Beloved, you are loved. You are loved by God. You're like, well, then why did this happen to me, Manny? Why didn't my brother die or... Why did this happen to my parents? Or why does this happen over there? And, and you know what? There's answers to all your questions. There really is. But if you ever wonder whether or not God loves you, you can prove it by the fact that he died for you. You are loved. He says, Beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. See, we're looking for a certain person. We're looking, you know, for a certain place. And we're looking with a certain perspective. And let me just give you two words in that. Number one is delight. Delight. You know, just that phrase, looking forward. Looking for, I'm excited about this. You know, one day I might hear the news and, you know, um, not to sound insensitive, I don't want to sound calloused in any way, but let's just say one day you hear the news that you got four weeks left. You know, I hear the news, I got four weeks left. Oh, Lord, I don't want to die. 
And the Lord will, will say, well, why not? Oh, Lord, because um, my family. And the Lord will say, I'll take care of them. Manny, I love your family more than you do. I will take care of them. Well, Lord, what about the church? I'll really take care of them. They're going to do great without you, you know? I mean, but Lord, and, you know, we go through all these things. I tell you what, the truth is when you understand the person you're going to, the place you're going to, your perspective, it changes. And you think of this with delight. I know I have to finish my race. Don't get me wrong. I love life. I would like to see, you know, my great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I would like to see America revived. I would love to see Almani saved. I love life, but not as much as I love him. We look forward, he says, number one, with delight. And I want to share with you guys, number, number two, with direction. And so let me begin closing by just saying this. Don't look back. Don't look back. The devil tries to make you look back. Oh, look at how many times you messed up. Because he wants to discourage you. You know, if you're running the race and you're looking back, you're not going to run the race to win. He says, looking forward. You know, don't look back, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. You know, and the devil loves to remind you of your past, right? Don't let him. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from the past. But our perspective is to look forward. You know, I, I know that a lot of you here, you messed up a lot. and Maybe you came in today and you're just not only messed up, you're all messed up. I mean, you're just really messed up, man. And, and the devil just says, well, you, you shouldn't even be here because you've got all these problems and addictions and struggles and doubts and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord just says, that's okay. Just come to me. Just come to me. I'll change your heart. I'll change your life. Just come to him the way that you are. Don't look back. And don't let your defeats think that, well, therefore you'll never win. That was my problem growing up. I didn't have any guidance or counsel or direction or anything. And I just was convinced in my mind that I wasn't going to win in life. So I didn't try. And God's just saying, no, you come and don't look back. You know, I think of Thomas Edison, and they say that before he invented the light bulb, that he failed a thousand times. So he, imagine that, failing a thousand times. Oh, this is the one. <laughs> it doesn't work, you know, and I explodes or something. How many of you here would have given up after, you know, 36 failures? That's it, you know, 360 failures. I mean, I'm done. 987, 999, I'm done. What would have happened if he had given up? We would not have the light bulb. Wow. Wow. I always tell people this, and I tell Christians this. The only way you could lose is if you give up. So don't give up. Because maybe you failed a thousand times. But maybe this is the time where there's just like a, a genuineness 
a conviction that will make you a consistent Christian for the rest of your life. I was talking to one of the guys at the at the retreat, and he came up to me, and he was just open with me, and he said, Manny, I've been drinking. I've been drinking. And, you know, he tried to justify it, you know, like, you know how a lot of people like to justify drinking? Oh, Jesus, you know, made water to wine and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so they're over there drinking, and they think it's right, and they know, we know it's wrong. If I drink, and my son sees me drink, he's going to think that drinking's okay. Now, if I put that in my son and he becomes a drunk or he goes out and drives under that influence and, and kills somebody, it's my fault. You don't need to get drunk. Just be the beautiful person that you are. You don't need a, some extra type of stimulus to change your personality so that you can feel more comfortable in a certain environment. We don't need that. Well, this guy came up to me and he said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm committing today. Uh, I'm not going to drink again. And I prayed with him and I believe him because I see God working in his life. And I reminded him of a, of a man that three years ago I was sitting with in the same... This is crazy. same place I'm telling you this there were two chairs we were sitting in because we were watching the volleyball game I was sitting with the guy three years ago in the same seats having the same conversation with this other guy three years ago it was just like deja vu from a Christian perspective man and I told him and I want you to know that that three years ago I spoke with this guy and he said the same thing that you're saying, I'm never going to drink again. And he hasn't. I said, man, that's the Lord. So maybe you failed a thousand times, but the Lord is saying, well, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of power, you know? And that's how we look forward. He says right here, we look forward to these things with delight and we don't look back for failures, neither do we look back for successes. No, we got our future to live. And that's what God wants us to do. And he says right there, we are to be diligent, and that means to make every effort to be found by him in peace, without spot, blameless. And that's got to be our heart, you guys. You know, we're not competing with each other. Whatever you do, don't compare yourself to other people. That's not right for a number of reasons. Uh, you don't have the same genetics they have. They might be kind of like, you know, they might have a couple of screws loose or something, you know. I mean, their wiring might be different, and they had a different cultural upbringing and all that kind of stuff. You don't compare yourself with people. But I will say this, you do want to be the best possible you. That's all. The best possible you. And when I look out at you guys, and I know a lot of you guys, and some of you young people, I don't know, but I see it. I see so much potential. So much. And so we make every effort to hit the bullseye. We make every effort, he says right here, to be found by him, that's the Lord, when he looks at us in peace, right relationship with him, without spot and blameless. Don't you hate it when you get a spot on your, your, your T-shirt? 
I hate it, man. I'm like, okay, I ironed my shirt. It's all nice and clean. And, you know, and then um, whatever, I'm, I'm brushing my teeth vigorously. <laughs> and next, you know, I got like a big old spot right there or whatever. I'm eating my spaghetti and, you know, it's like, oh, man. And, you know, you're walking around. God said, no, I don't want you to no, no spots, man. I want you to be spot without spot, blameless. And let me tell you something, Manny. Because you're thinking, well, I can't do that, Lord. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. And, and you can't. But the Lord, he can do this in us. This is really what it's all about. You guys, my prayer is that we would be able to have a, a right look, looking for the certain person that is God, looking for this certain place, the new heavens and the earth, looking with a, a certain perspective, with delight and direction, and as a result of having this look, we're looking right. Then what ends up happening is we're living right. And God just continues to work in our character. This is what it's all about. How many of you here, you're excited about heaven? How many aren't? <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, we all are, huh? I mean, isn't it the most exciting thing that you can even begin to think of? I mean, to me it is, man. I was uh, I was reading an article. I was so uh, bummed. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, um, you know, the Pope. He's uh, he's I guess he was in Cuba. He's going to be arriving in America. And anyways, uh, while he was there, and I trip out on this guy. You know, he's supposed to be uh, a representative of Christ, and yet he doesn't share the gospel. That's weird. You know, to me, I'm like, okay, if you're a representative of Christ and you want people to be with Christ and to go to heaven, not just make things right between two countries or kind of help, you know, with social uh, issues and, you know, focusing on political issues. No, he should share the gospel. And that is that we're sinners separated from God. And if we are willing to repent of our sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we'll be saved. That's the gospel. That's all he has to say. But he won't. Anyways... You know, as he's there, you know, he's in his Pope mobile and he's going down and there's a hundred, hundreds of thousands of people, you know. And he goes out and he steps out and he, he prays over a lady. She was 101 years old. And uh, and it was kind of crazy because uh, afterwards they interviewed that lady and they and this is what she said. She said that she had been there for every Pope that had ever gone to Cuba every single time. And she said this is what she's, she said this was the dream of her life that the Pope would touch her. Imagine that. Is that your dream? No way. As a matter of fact, the dream of my life, the dream of my life, is that God would touch me. Is that God, not a man, but that God would touch me, empower me, reach me with his love. Because I know, you guys, when that happens... Man, everything, everything falls into place. And so my prayer, you guys, is that today God would do that work in all of us. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for, for loving us the way that you do, Lord, unconditionally, sacrificially, Lord, seeking our highest good. I thank you for that love. I thank you that this is real, that we have eyewitnesses to testify of your majesty and Lord Jesus, I just really pray for every person here. Lord, just set us free from the things of this world. 
the cares of life and deceitfulness of riches that choke the word. And next thing you know, we become unfruitful. Holy Spirit, I pray you fall on us. I pray you encourage us with your love. And that today you do a new work in every heart. Thank you, Lord. I see you moving. I'm so excited about this. Father, please finish the work. I pray in Jesus' name.